conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, and today I am joined by Keith Rawson to talk about his book, Road 7. It has been out for about a week now, so hopefully if you listen to this, we'll give you a reason to go pick it up if you haven't done so already. But Keith, how are you doing today? I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in. Long day. As they all seem to be these days. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you, but I've completely lost all track of time. Yeah, we... uh my wife and I just about five months ago became foster parents. Okay. And of a three and a four year old. And so it's just a long, circuitous day of snack and potty breaks and dispelling fights and all that stuff all day long. So, yeah, it was a long day. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump right into road seven? And I want to talk about sort of the theme of this book first, because I feel like what you do best is blend different genres. So when you knew this was going to partially be about a unicorn sighting, but ultimately not really about the unicorn sighting, how did you sort of come up with the theme for Road 7? You know, I don't know. I think this is, it's really one of the, um, Overall arching things that I could say if, if anyone ever asked me for writing advice is join a writer's group. Okay. Because I actually started, Road 7 started as a short story that I got from three writing prompts in my writer's group. And so the three, the three prompts were, I think, a unicorn, a secret, and sex in a pumpkin patch. And out of those burst a short story that... Um, Covered some of the like the basic idea of the story, but just didn't really work. Mm -hmm. And so I just started working at it and working at it, and it, it turned into this book. So, um, yeah, it started just from three weird-ass little writing prompts that I got in my writer's group. Yeah, I also host a Stephen King podcast called Chat Cemetery, and one of the things I've been noticing as far as writing goes is that sometimes something can start out as one idea and turn into something totally different, whether it's a short story becoming a full book because I recently read Hearts in Atlantis, which is technically a collection of stories, but all of those mm -hmm. stories have overlap. So it really just felt like a novel with various time jumps in it. So it's mm -hmm. one of those things where you kind of get to know writers as you dig into their work now. Yeah. One of my strengths, I think, is being willing to just cut stuff and start over. And like my previous book, The Mercy of the Tide, I started writing writing it and I got like 30,000 words into a draft of it and it just wasn't working. And it was I realized it was because I had to go back further in the story, like chronologically. And so I just had to be willing to like excise that entire thing and start over. And I'm not like cavalier about it, like, oh, it's easy and blah, blah, blah. But um I recognize that it's like, you just kind of have to do that sometimes. And I had to do that a lot with Road 7, with a lot of like false roads, you know? So yeah, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad the thing is out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How does that feel? Has it been a long time coming for you? Yeah, it totally. I mean, like my first two books came out like a year, pretty almost to a T, a year apart. And this one has taken a little bit longer. And it's also like, 
every single time with all three of them, you get that just like crushing self doubt that like, oh, the other two were flukes. This one is actually really bad. <laughs> and then you sort of battle that and get past it. But yeah, it's like, I'm glad it's out. And it's like the same feelings that I've got with the same previous two, like just self doubt. And then like, oh, this might actually be okay now that I look through it again. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into your process a little more because it's clear that you're pretty ruthless when it comes to editing yourself and knowing when you need to cut stuff out, when you need to start over. And obviously working with a publisher, I imagine you also have an editor who reads over everything there too. So do you find it's more helpful for yourself to sort of do those initial self edits and be like, okay, I know that I just need to trash this, start over, maybe don't completely trash it, maybe like store it away somewhere on the side, but just start over with the story. Yeah, that's actually like with all the books and short stories too, is I just, again, the other piece, I don't have a lot of like writerly advice that I offer people. But another one is just give yourself the luxury of writing a terrible first draft. Like That's all it's supposed to be. So I just like give myself all the room that I want to in a first draft. And if it's just like, if I veer way off the path, then I backtrack a little bit and like try to find where I messed up. But otherwise I just go crazy with it. And it's in those subsequent edits that I start to find the narrative. And it's just, I mean, like, you know, if you finish a book, if you finish writing a book, you have so much more information about your characters by the end of it. Mm -hmm that you can go back to the beginning and be like, oh, he wouldn't actually talk like that. He'd say it like this, because you know more about them as you write them, you know? So it's really just a question of like, moving forward to the end of something, even if it is terrible, because it's supposed to be terrible. And then in drafts after that, that's when you start to, you know, exhume stuff and like, get rid of all the terrible stuff and like, make the dialogue snappier and more um, accurate, you know, so you build as you go. But first, it's just got to suck. And that's very much what my process is like the first drafts are just wretched, and long, like way longer, you know, Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I tend to hear when people mm -hmm. are talking about writing. It's like, you just have to sit down and get that first draft down. And as someone who has had many ideas as far mm -hmm. as writing goes, but has not attempted any of them, really, it's mm -hmm. one of those things where, you know, I obviously have this podcast, the Stephen King podcast I mentioned, and what I do for freelance work is podcast editing. So podcasts uh -huh. kind of rule my life right now. <laughs> and right. any other ideas I've really had sort of just are sitting in the back of my mind, kind of always scratching and like, let me out, mm -hmm. let me out. But as someone who has now written at least three books that have been published, do you find it helps you to sit down and write every day? Do you have a process? How has that changed since becoming a foster parent too. I do try to sit down and write every day. Um, it's so different now and so hard. I have like little in the morning and at night pretty much is all the time that I have. And uh, so it's very difficult. But yeah, I found that I do way better if I keep the uh, the momentum going every day. And even if it's just for a little bit, but like once you get stuck in it, it's like I'm doing a, a, a book right now that I've kind of resuscitated after like so many edits 
And um, it's really going well now. And I'm really stuck right in the middle of it. And it's like, it's really the best feeling to be like moored in the story again. And it, it feels like a gift almost to be able to be like, oh, I get to work on this on my brief moments throughout the day. And so, yeah, I found that it's so much harder to find the thread if you're not working it every day. Mm. Other people don't feel the same way. That's just what works for me. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some people who can crank out a book in a month or two. You know, I mean, Stephen King's output is insane. And I know I'm using him as an example here a lot, but it's because I own all but maybe one or two of his books at this point. And I'm about halfway through his bibliography, I believe. And anyone who has ever read Stephen King or follows him closely knows that halfway is still a lot of books. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's just like, I mean, I don't know. He just, he's not that much of an editor either, as far as I understand it, right? Like he just kind of like maybe briefly runs through it afterwards. He's one of those dudes that just like busts it out and maintains the thread a lot of times. And as far as I know, doesn't need to like switch things up all that much. Like he just kind of goes from A to B. Well, his books are almost all very long, so I would say he does mm-hmm. not edit a ton, but yeah, not necessarily right. in a bad way. You know, I've read, like I said, about half of his books, and there's only one or two that I, I have really felt that I didn't like or I felt indifferent towards, which that's a pretty good track record. So I'm willing to take some of those losses to get to everything else. Yeah, he was one of the formative authors for me, for sure, as a kid. Like, I talk about how pretty much my stuff is like an amalgamation of like Stephen King and X-Men comic and like a Dead Kennedys tape, you know? Like, it's all, those are my three motivators as a kid when I was like, learning about fiction, you know, so. I totally get that vibe from your books. And Mm -hmm. specifically with Road 7, you have sort of this kind of punk rock zine cover going on. And then you have (laughs) these horrible things that happen to your characters throughout the book, but it's not a horror novel. And I think that's something that is always so fascinating to me because you can have horrific things without making it rooted in the horror genre and you really add sort of this fantasy kind of element in with the unicorn obviously you know i think that's Mm -hmm. one of the most fantastical animals you can put (laughs) in a book and it's just so fun to read through and see the hardships your characters go through so is it necessary for you to have these flawed characters because that's definitely a theme I've noticed throughout, you know, Smoke City right. and Mercy of the Tide and Road Seven now. I I don't know. It's I I mean part of me is like, um, I don't know how else to make people interesting. Like I, I would not know how to write like a successful person and make it interesting to me as a writer, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it just like you know, I don't have an MFA. I, I don't I don't like the comparison game a lot, but I don't have an MFA. I haven't gone to college for writing or anything. And I'm just learning as I go. And so um, to me, part of it is there has to be conflict. And as someone who has a lot of internal conflict, I know I can write those types of people, even as their hardships and interpersonal stuff varies. I know I can do that, you know? Um, but if it comes to like 
a very successful like hedge fund manager having problems at work like i i wouldn't it would bore me to death to write it and i just wouldn't know where to start but a drunken cryptozoologist you know like <laughs> sign me up i wanted to bring that up too because a cryptozoologist not a super common job title there are people <laughs> with that title but where did that idea spurn from that's the other thing that's so weird about writing these books is i i can remember little blips here and there of the process but like i don't know where that guy came from i think um i don't know i wish i knew i um <laughs> i think i needed a vehicle to get people to the unicorn because the unicorn was one of the writer prompts mm -hmm. you know and so it's like, who would be looking for a unicorn? This guy would. So it eventually kind of emerged from that, you know. But I had to be like, what the, who cares about a cryptozoologist? It's like, they're crackpots or they're blah, 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 whatever. So I, I needed something to kind of disavow that and make the guy more believable. So I, I came up with the memoir of his alien abduction that landed him some like legitimacy or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's really just a balancing game of like doing a bunch of different, uh, tropes and trying to make them believable. Speaking of tropes, I've noticed that there are certain ones that pop up throughout the history of people writing books, basically, you know, Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie will have certain tropes in her books. Stephen King will have certain ones in his. And obviously, some of them aren't quite as accepted as time has gone on. So for you, when you're looking at a specific trope and trying to figure out how to maybe give it this little extra twist, is that something that you're actively thinking about? Like, okay, I know this trope has been done before, but how do I make it mine? Yeah, totally. Because I mean, like I, I sit in this weird half-lit place of like, I really want to be a literary author. But also, I love robots and monsters and stuff. And so it's really just like playing with those. Like at its core, like Road 7 is kind of a monster novel. You mm -hmm. know, it's about monsters and shit um, internally or otherwise. And so, yeah, it's very much a like, just navigating it without making it like so over the top corny, you know, cause like, or like noir stuff, like noir stuff is really fun, but like I've tried it and I just can't do it right now as a writer, you know? So yeah, it's really just a balancing act of like having fun with stuff, but also not making it so cartoonish that it seems unbelievable. And you also don't want your work to feel like you just ripped off someone else's work or a few other writers and put it all together and made it this thing. You do have this need to make it unique enough to you. And obviously, you can read thriller book after thriller book after thriller book, and you see a lot of the same patterns. But I think it's mm -hmm. in the way that people write their stories and their characters that really gives it that distinction. Yeah. And, you know, as a somewhat of a side note, like I've tried to write like a crime book, you know, like a crime novel. Mm -hmm. That shit is hard. <laughs> it's so hard to do. Like I've tried before to be like, okay, no monsters, no ghosts, no robots, no, not, nothing, you know, like it's just going to be straight, like noir, man's violence against man. And it's just, it was not, I just wasn't able to do it, you know? And so like, to me, I've got to play around with those weird those weird things like the uh, science fiction stuff and fantasy and 
magical realism and all that stuff just to make it interesting for me as a writer. Cause when I'm interested in it, that's when like I have room to breathe and I have a lot more fun with it, you know, but like trying to write under the confines of like a specific genre is, it just was such a drag. It always amazes me when a writer is able to destroy it in multiple genres because mm-hmm. it just feels like it's so hard to go in different directions. And there are obviously some big name authors who write books for adults and then books for children. And I imagine that's a pretty different experience too, just in and of itself, because there are certain things you obviously would not be putting in a children's novel (laughs) in comparison Mm -hmm, to your adult novels. But with your work, I think what I really enjoy about it is just the fact that you do love ghosts and robots and monsters. And that comes through because as someone who hosts a podcast about geeking out over things, uh-huh. I, yeah. I really feel like it speaks to me, even if, you know, maybe I'm not a huge fan of unicorns, but you know, my mom <laughs> had a house full of unicorns. So that might explain that. And, you know, right. I, I showed her the book as soon as I got it. And I was like, look, a unicorn, you're going to read this. And she did read it too. So, Oh, right on. Yeah. And it's like, I, I mean, again, I don't really, unicorns don't like keep me up at night with their magic and all that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such a fun, like the constraint of just like a specific thing. Like I'm going to write this type of book mm-hmm. uh, is not fun, but that for whatever reason, that writing prompt was just enough with, you know, sex in a pumpkin patch, which I don't think I got sex in there, but there's certainly a pumpkin patch in there. Close enough. Yeah, right. And a secret and a unicorn. And that was enough to like, be enough of a challenge, you know? Yeah, it gets your wheels turning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then having to work within the confines of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's way different than just being like, I'm just going to write a crime novel. So it worked for whatever reason. And every one of these books has felt like, like just sheer luck coupled with like like dumb hours of concentration of just staring at the screen and praying for luck, you know? <laughs> I love that this came out of writing prompts, though, because mm-hmm. I know that you're in a bigger city area, so it's probably pretty easy to find a writer's group to go to in person when you could do that when there wasn't COVID right. running rampant yeah. in the United States, but you have these writers who it seems like ideas just come to them naturally. And if you don't have conversations with them, you never really know where these ideas come from. So it can literally come from anywhere, whether it's writing prompts, just a shower thought, you know, I'm sure ideas come from all over the place. And I think when you have constraints too, it forces you to be more creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's way challenging. I mean, like my buddy James, who's in my writing group, his only seeming limitation is time. Like he has, he just is ceaseless with his ideas and he's a fantastic writer. And like, I am just not like that. Like I very much struggle for, um, ideas and then the, um, ability to sustain it, you know? Cause like, I can't tell you, I have probably four or five books and then like 20 25 short stories were just I just petered out halfway through or a third of the way through and just I just lost the thread you know and sometimes you can revive them and sometimes they're just like gonna be on your hard drive until who knows when 
Yeah, exactly. To bring it back to Road 7 a little here, I want to also talk to you about the setting because a remote island off of Iceland isn't the first place you necessarily think of when you start to dive into a book about a cryptozoologist because you're like, what's uh-huh. in Iceland? So where right. did that come from? Because, you know, your prompts didn't give any hints about location or anything. Have you been to Iceland or was it just where you thought someone might see this majestic, magical creature? It's uh that yes it's it's all bullshit i've never been to iceland it's an entirely fictionalized um island i borrowed some like uh customs and of course icelandic from that but the rest of it is just entirely made up and i think again that was just kind of a i couldn't sustain the idea of a unicorn being anywhere in the states because just with like (laughs) there's just too much, too many cell phones. And like, it, you know, just, um, it would just didn't work. So I needed to put them in a place where they couldn't really contact people that well. And it had to be desolate enough to sustain the idea. So it's this very, uh, withdrawn, tiny, isolated island. And that was kind of the like setting that I needed to hopefully make it work. Yeah. And I think it does work. Like you said, you can't have a unicorn walking down like the streets of Los Angeles and, you know. Yeah. It can't be like, you know, in the woods of, I just couldn't picture it like a unicorn in the woods of Virginia or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, you maybe could have pulled off like Alaska, but there's very few places in the United States where it would have worked. And I've seen, pictures of Iceland because I too have not been there. And you Mm -hmm. do get this sense that it's just a whole different world over there. Right. Yeah. It's very striking for sure. And it's, again, it's one of the, um, uh, I hope I did enough research to be convincing. I felt the same way about like smoke city with Los Angeles. You know, I've been to Los Angeles a number of times, but I've never lived there. And then with mercy of the tide, like nuclear proliferation in the 80s. I just had to kind of muscle my way through it and hope I was convincing enough, you know? Yeah. So from a research standpoint, do you do all of that before you sit down to write? Or do you tend to do that as you go, as you think of these things like, oh, this should take place in this remote island off the coast of Iceland and then dive in from there? Or is it pre-planned? Do you outline or anything like that? No, I, I, I research a lot. And be sure, and I keep like a separate file full of notes and like anecdotes and little key like factoids and stuff that I want to drop in there. But it's very much a like I kind of do it as I go. But that also is goes back to that whole thing about drafts and like as I research, the more I know about the setting as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to use that as anchor points, you know. So um, yeah, it's really much like. I do it as I go, but then by the time I'm finished with the draft, I have a lot more information uh, to hopefully make it more believable. Yeah, you also incorporated a kind of military base into the story. And it was one of those things where it wasn't like this super big base or anything. And obviously, I don't want to give too much of the story away. So we're kind of talking broad strokes here with the characters and the setting. But I think... Just the contrast between where Mark is staying with his assistant and then seeing the base and 
even though they exist in this same area, you really get a sense of, oh, okay, this is just totally different from everything else. Mm-hmm. And there's the woods in between the two. Yes. Ah, ah, ah. Love a good haunted yeah. woods. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's it really is just like um, there's a lot of moving parts and you just hustle to make sure that they all kind of fit well together, you know? And ultimately, the readers decide after your publisher and agent and editors decide. Yeah, and what I find realistic about that is because even if you go to a place like you mentioned, like Los Angeles, you've been there a few times, and you can be in the woods, or you can be downtown, and they exist within this same area, and you're just like, oh, there's nice parts, you know? (laughs) Right, totally, for sure. Yeah. So with Road 7, when you were coming up with the idea with the writer's prompts, did you know how the story was going to end when you initially started researching? Or is it something where it really is, here I'm starting with these prompts, I am forming my characters, and then it kind of all works itself out? Or are you like super planned, like, I know how this is going to start and end, and then I just have to figure out everything in the middle, and I kind of have that figured out too? No, I admire those people. <laughs> I, I loathe them, and I'm so jealous of them. But I admire them a lot, because I am very much a uh, a pantser or whatever, where I like, I write, and as I write, then maybe like one or two chapters, like I know what the next thing is going to be you know, like the one or two chapters ahead. And that's really it. And then I'll also keep a a separate document of like, here are specific scenes that I want to put in there somewhere, but I don't quite know where to fit them in. So I'll either like, once I finish a draft, be like, okay, is there a spot to put this stuff in? Or do we just not worry about it? But yeah, I am not like, I didn't know what the ending was. And this one, like I said, this one did not come easily. And I worked on this over a couple of years. And through a number of different versions. So, yeah, some people write a book in a month and then other people like me work a lot longer. And that's something that seems to vary depending on the person, depending on the project, depending on, you know, if they want to do a short story collection. It all seems like there are so many variables that go into how you start a book and when and how you finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like, I mean, time, it's tough for people to find time, you know, it's like one of those things where no one's making you do it, mm-hmm. you know, so you really have to like, be motivated to to tackle it. I feel like you also have to be very organized, even if you don't know, start to finish what your story is going to be about. Like you said, you have a separate file where you keep track of these things. And I know some writers have character lists and you know sometimes Mm -hmm. i wish the character lists existed in some books that are really long because when you Mm -hmm. read something like the stand you're kind of like who did what now (laughs) yeah right yeah and that's like i don't know it's um but it all starts from that first page Mm -hmm. you know so that's where i don't know anything before i start writing so i kind of just have to um once i get past that i learn more but yeah it, it, it has to be that first spot that first uh, page. Yeah, as you can clearly tell, I am very interested in 
the process of how things get done. And I know this hasn't focused too terribly much on the story in Road 7. And Oh, it's fine. It's fine. That's just because I just want to keep it spoiler free here in case anyone uh-huh, ends totally. up being interested and wants to check this out. But I do have some specific questions for you that I think we can touch on without spoiling anything. But do you have a personal favorite character that you wrote for this? You know, I was actually really worried. Like, I, you know, I do the like kind of unlikable character thing sometimes or often, but like, I was worried that these two main men in this book were just such assholes and like, so self-absorbed. That was my concern. At the same time, I loved writing Mark Sandoval so much. Like he was such an unrepentant dick until the very end. Whoops. Just gave it something away, (laughs) but he was so fun to write. Like he was such a terrible person in a lot of ways and very fun to write. And like, I don't, think that uh, characters need to be good or even redemptive Mm -hmm. in the end to be worthwhile. Like, I think they just need to be interesting. Sometimes I think writers really get it when they write these characters that are so unlikable that they actually make you feel angry while you're reading a book. And Mark is definitely one of those characters when you find out everything that's happened in his life and why he ends up in Iceland and just sort of all of these things piling on top of one another. And then you get to the end of the book and you're like, man, that was a lot. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's one of those things where one of the tough things about publishing a book is like once you uh, publish it like you kind of just have to like deal with what happens with it afterwards and so like if people are like um think he's just such an unrepentant jerk uh, that it was like a huge turnoff as far as a book goes then it's like okay that's that's what happened it's got to be okay you know i put it out there it's not my thing anymore it's like people get to do what they want with it yeah and one thing especially that happens with crime novels, like we were talking about a little earlier, you have this sort of good versus evil. And sometimes when it's just a person against a person, that can be hard to write. So do you find it's easier to write these unlikable characters when you have this little supernatural fantasy element combined with their personal story? I don't know. That's a good question. I think that it's like, uh, like my intention wasn't to make him an unlikable character. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to write a shithead. Hey, it's, it was like, I want him to um, have appropriate impetus to, to get where he's going and to do what he's doing. And also I keep saying believable. Like I hate cartoonish villains, you know, mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous. And so if I'm going to, write somebody regardless of whether or not there's a monster or a ghost or whatever in it. Like if I'm going to write a character, it's got to just be, I have to convince myself that this is how this person would act. So that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do is I'm trying to convince myself that these people are believable and they would act the way they're acting. He certainly feels believable because like I said, it's just one thing piling on top of another with his mm-hmm. character and his story throughout. And you see how you get from 
point A to point B because you have these flashback moments where you get to see what really happened before the Iceland trip and Mm -hmm. you get these right the catalyst of them yeah you get these pieces here and there and I think the fact that you don't give us all of that information at once and sort of overload our brains with okay this is who this guy is you kind of feed it in a way to where you get to know him in the present day and then you see how he ended up that way right and just be exasperated as shit with him you know what I mean like, oh, you, yeah, I love, I love that as a reader. That is such a reward for me. That like aha moment of like why someone is or a catalyst like that. It's just such a, a treat as a reader. So, regardless of how they do it, but especially with like characters' backstories, like it's so fun. I love that stuff. I think when you read someone's book, you can also tell what kind of reader they are, because like Mm -hmm. you just said, you love that as a reader. So it was something you ended up incorporating into your own book. And every once in a while, I'll read a book's format and I'm just like, what happened here? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. Like I love stuff where like, um, like novels with like footnotes here and there or like weird, like, um, formatting changes you know like just think of uh jennifer egan's visit from the goon squad or whatever okay that one is so great at the very end it's like a the last maybe the last chapter is like a a powerpoint presentation Mm -hmm. and it's like i'm just weeping by the end of it like it was so brilliantly done so just curveballs like that are so great as a reader yeah i think one of the most uniquely formatted books that i've read was House of Leaves. I'm blanking on the author's name. I know it's Daniel something, but I read that and I was like spinning the book around to read it. And you have Uh to get so involved to read the book because the words are going all over the page. Some pages have one word, some pages have like a letter and you're just like, this is a wild experience as a reader. And I feel like that's one of those books that people will either love or hate because of the format. Mm -hmm. Totally. I have not read it, but yeah, I like that whole, um, just challenging readers like that, but still making it like fun and not like a chore, you know, I love that stuff. Then I highly recommend checking out House of Leaves if I were you. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I totally will. Yeah. So Road 7, I really enjoyed it and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but is there anything you want to touch on that we haven't touched on here about the book specifically? No, I I hope people read it. It's about a cryptozoologist who is, um, for various reasons, urged to get out of the country. And a woman sends him grainy footage of a supposed unicorn sighting. So he hires a hapless assistant and gets the heck out. I'm super proud of it. I think it's weird as hell. And uh, I've got a short story collection coming out in February that I'm super excited about as well. Awesome. Yeah, I love the fact that it was grainy footage, too, because it's like, is it real? Is it not real? And you have doubt. And doubt is something that runs throughout this, too, which I think was handled really well between not only Brian, but even Mark has these doubts because you look at him flashing back on past relationships and you can just Mm -hmm. feel all of this stuff building up internally with the characters. And finally you're just like, they're going to burst at some point. (laughs) Right. Right. 
Yeah, I hope I pulled it off. So I just thank you so much for this opportunity and for reading the book. Like, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I love it when I find new writers to follow because I'm like, okay, you know, one book every year or two, I'm not playing catch up. Right, right. Totally. I, I I can keep up with, you know, your output much more easily than I can with Stephen King's because I don't know why I thought a weekly Stephen King podcast would be a fantastic idea, but I did. Right, right. For sure. Well, Keith, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Road 7 and a lot about your process that goes into not only writing this book, but writing in general. It was definitely a pleasure having you on. I really appreciate the opportunity, Deanna. Thanks. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. If you feel inclined, please do give us a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. It really does help the show. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.